Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. My name is Lynn McFadden with Endogastric Solutions. I'll be your host this evening, and joining me is my colleague, Wendy Prophet, who will be your co-host this evening. Uh, For tonight's episode, we have the privilege of having our guest physician speaker, Dr. Andrew Lovett. So I'll give you a brief bio on Dr. Lovett and and, uh, welcome him to the session uh, formally. Dr. Lovett is a board-certified general surgeon who specializes in minimally invasive bariatric and general surgery. He completed his postgraduate advanced surgical training at the Minnesota Institute for Minimally Invasive Surgery, his Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine degree at the University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine in Maine, and his Bachelor of Science degree at Juanita College in Pennsylvania and his general surgery residency at Rowan University in New Jersey. Dr. Lovett has won numerous academic awards. He's published several papers and in 2020 was named a Surgeon of Excellence in Robotic Surgery by the Surgical Review Corporation. So welcome, Dr. Lovett. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks a lot, Lynn. You bet. Also joining us this evening is one of Dr. Lovett's patients. Her name is Tabitha. And Tabitha uh, had uh, the TIF procedure for reflux done uh, with Dr. Lovett. So welcome, welcome to the session, Tabitha, and thank you for joining us to tell your story tonight. Thanks for having me. You bet. So Dr. Lovett, let's kick things off by maybe a brief description of GERD. What exactly is GERD? GERD really encompasses a whole host of uh, diseases and uh, symptoms. And it's important to to look at each one of those individually and through a really comprehensive evaluation. Uh, A lot of people, uh, when they think of GERD, uh, think of heartburn, you know, Larry the cable guy with fire coming out of his mouth. Uh, And and it's much more than that. Uh, GERD can be difficulty swallowing. It can be uh, stuff coming back up into your esophagus. It can be abdominal bloating. Uh, And uh, it takes, uh, you know, a team of uh, experts to, to cipher through those different symptoms figure out the appropriate testing, uh, and then really come out with a diagnosis. Uh, I think uh, oftentimes when people hear, I have heartburn, uh, it all gets lumped into one category, which in my opinion really isn't appropriate. You gotta figure out what's going on uh, objectively through some type of testing, uh, and then you can formulate the appropriate treatment plan uh, with the patient's input, of course. Yeah, excellent. You touched on a couple things there uh, that are important. Some, sometimes those symptoms are very obvious. Sometimes they're uh, silent symptoms that are not so obvious. So taking the right steps to see your doctor and get to the bottom of what those symptoms are is really key. So 
in in the diagnosis or how, how do folks know they have GERD? What what's what does that diagnostic workup involve? So we at the Minnesota Reflux and Heartburn Center like to take a pretty comprehensive approach, uh, and and we can do it piecemeal, but we're also lucky enough to to be able to really do this all in one day if the patient desires, but. Uh, really, the most important part is the patient's history. Okay, we always sit down and chat with them, uh, but probably equal or, or um, maybe a little bit more important sometimes is to, to start with an endoscopy. Uh, and endoscopy is when you, you know, undergo gentle sedation and we look down your esophagus and into your stomach with a, a lighted scope. Uh, and that really gives us an idea of the anatomy that you have. Uh, GERD or reflux disease is often an anatomic or mechanical problem. And unless we look down and really know what's going on, uh, then we, it can be difficult to make a, a proper diagnosis. Uh, when we do that, we typically take biopsies as well. We're looking for a bacteria that can grow in your stomach. Uh, we're looking for different uh, conditions of the esophagus. Uh, one of the most important we're looking for is what's called Barrett's esophagus. Uh, Barrett's esophagus can be, can be a precancerous condition at the lower end of your esophagus. It's often related to GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease. Uh, and we take that really seriously here at our center. Uh, we always biopsy for it uh, and often do a number of different biopsies for it. Uh, and then at the end of that endoscopy, uh, again, uh, looking for really uh, objective evidence of reflux disease, we, we typically leave behind some type of acid monitor. Uh, the most common one we use is called the Bravo pH probe. It's a little wireless capsule that we attach to the middle of your esophagus, uh, and it records for about 48 hours how much acid is actually coming up. Uh, it's, it's often surprising the results we get. A lot of people that uh, really truly have symptoms that sound like reflux disease, it's, it's just not that, and we have to look elsewhere. Very interesting. Um, and everybody experiences those tests differently and, and those workups differently. And I think when Tabitha shares her story, she can speak to what those workups were like on her end as well. Um, so what's next then? Once you have the diagnosis, uh, what kind of what are the treatment options or what's involved in, in treating GERD or some of the options you recommend to your patients? Sure. So uh, there's really kind of a three armed therapy. Um, uh, some people really just with lifestyle modifications, uh, including diet, weight loss, uh, changing the way they sleep, changing the way they eat, uh, can have really pretty profound changes in the amount of acid reflux that they experience and symptoms. Uh, oftentimes people, when they come to us, have already tried medical therapy um, and uh, we can tailor that medical therapy to their actual needs, uh, again, using that objective data. Uh, and then of course, there's uh, what I like to refer to as kind of interventional or mechanical therapy. Uh, in, in the end, uh, if someone truly has acid reflux, it, it typically is from a mechanical problem. Uh, there is a, a valve at the lower end of your esophagus. Uh, that's there to keep the acid out of the esophagus. Your stomach naturally makes that. It's good for you. Uh, and in order to uh, prevent that from coming up in the esophagus, we have to mechanically fix that somehow. Uh, acid, um, suppressing medications, lifestyle modifications, they can do you know, a really great job of uh, taking care of symptoms, uh, but to truly uh, prevent the reflux, it, it's a mechanical problem. Uh, so that's where those interventional therapies come into play. Wonderful, thank you for that. Um, with uh, the therapies that are available, um, we get a lot of questions about proton pump inhibitors and, uh, and some concerns are expressed by some of the folks that join these sessions about any long-term side effects of of PPIs as medical management. Um, what are your thoughts on that? 
So I, I think it's a double-edged sword. I, I definitely would never want someone to be afraid to take proton pump inhibitors or PPIs. Uh, listen, they're great medications. They shut off the acid in your stomach. Uh, and for a lot of people, that's what they need. Um, can there be long-term effects? Sure. You know, uh, I think uh, there's some studies that came out four or five years ago that did suggest some changes in, in cardiac health, mental health, um, uh, stomach health. Uh, those studies, you know, I think if you repeated a lot of those uh, in different ways or even did them on, on different medications, you probably would, you know, find that it's not really that bad of a thing. Uh, that being said, a lot of people just don't want to be on medications long term. Uh, there is definitely some association with uh, different uh, mineral absorption, uh, different uh, potential for diarrhea. Uh, and uh, people do have side effects from those medications. So for me, it's all risk and uh, balance. Uh, if, if people are perfectly happy on those, they're not having any breakthrough symptoms, then, then that's great. Um, but uh, most people aren't. Most people, especially by the time they come see me, uh, are having some problems with them that they would like to either uh, modify uh, or just be off of them completely. Right. And uh, when you're talking about other interventional uh, procedures, talk to us a little bit about the TIF procedure. What is that and, and uh, how do you recommend that in your practice? Sure. So, you know, the TIF, I, I think, is a, a great procedure uh, for the right person. Uh, and that's really what we're all about is uh, individualized therapy. Uh, the TIF itself uh, is a completely endoscopic procedure. Uh, so uh, there's no incisions. Uh, you uh, go to the hospital and leave the hospital the same day. It does require general anesthesia, but people do great with that these days. Uh, and essentially what it does is it recreates that mechanical barrier I was talking about. Uh, it uses uh, plastic fasteners uh, that are permanent. They stay there. And the, the beauty of the TIF is that I can really uh, kind of create the perfect valve uh, as I see it while I'm creating it. Uh, that's not really available in any of the, the other procedures we do. So if there's a little spot here, a little spot here I want to touch up, I can do that. Uh, and uh, it, it you know, universally comes out a very uh, nice looking uh, and uh, is a, the valve that I want, that I know is trying to protect the patient from that acid reflux. Uh, I think it's a nice mix of uh, not being too tight and not being too loose. Uh, we know if we recreate that valve and it's too tight, the patients can have side effects from that. Um, so. Uh, the TIF has really, to me, been this happy medium uh, that uh, patients have just universally been pleased with. Wonderful. So I think maybe we can segue into um, welcoming Tabitha um, back to the screen. And Tabitha, you had uh, the TIF procedure for reflux with Dr. Pitt after struggling with your reflux for quite some time. So wondered if you might be able to um, share with the folks on the, just a little bit about your story. Um, how long did you suffer? What was the catalyst that made you finally go to see a physician like Dr. Lovett and um, get some reflux relief? I was probably in my early 20s. I just figured out that I had reflux when I was and started to feel the acid come up in my throat and I don't recall the exact steps then, but I had started on omeprazole and I was on omeprazole for many years, switched to Zantac. And then um, my primary care provider that I know, he would put me back on omeprazole again and then referred me to Dr. Lovett. So when I saw Dr. Lovett, we went through the steps and the process of getting all the testing done, the manometry, I did the Bravo, and then um, 
had to wait for my insurance company to approve it, which we did a couple different times. I went through a couple appeals process and then, um, which the ladies at the clinic went, did that for me. I didn't have to do any of that. And then my insurance company had sent me a letter saying, send us an explanation on why you want this procedure done. So I did that explaining about wanting to prevent any Barrett's or, you know, instead of treating it later, I wanted to prevent it. And then if I could have the TIF done and other more beneficial treatment. So I sent them the letter and it wasn't long enough that, but they actually approved it. So I had finally got it done and I had the procedure done and I haven't taken any medication since and I've been doing great and yeah, nice not to have to take the medication and not have to deal with you know, heartburn all the time, even on medications. Oh, well, so. congratulations. We're so thrilled that you've had such a positive experience and um, it sounds like you have a, a, a better quality of life post-procedure. Um, we, we, we love to hear that and um, just love that you got on the segment tonight to share your story. There's so many people out there just like you who have struggled for years and they're just not sure what are the next steps to take. They've been offered the medications, they're managed, but um, still problematic, symptomatic. And so um, I think what the part of your story that's so uh, wonderful too is that it's not always easy to advocate for yourself and you 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 work for the for um, in in an OR setting from my understanding so very familiar with some of the journeys and struggles patients have just in getting to that procedure point and and right. taking that time to truly advocate for yourself is something we really focus a lot on during these segments because not everyone knows that they can in fact um, fight for um, you know, the treatment options that they feel are out there and that would benefit them. So um, excellent job in, in doing that and, and to the whole team over at uh, Minnesota Reflux and Heartburn Center for, for helping you there um, and getting you to that finish line. Yeah, they helped a lot. They didn't give up. I didn't know that I'd have to fight with my insurance company for it, but in the end, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I won. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it's, I was shocked on that part, but they didn't give up. They kept trying and just the whole part of being preventative in your care rather than treating it bad. Yeah, and to that point, Dr. Lovett, you mentioned um, that there was uh, something in, in uh, Tabitha's workup that uh, looked like it was pre-Barrett's. Can you talk a little bit about what Barrett's esophagus is and, and what that looks yeah, like? So like we talked about a little earlier, uh, Barrett's esophagus is a, a precancerous uh, condition. Uh, and one of the reasons we have our center uh, is to try to prevent esophageal cancer. Uh, that's really our main goal. Uh, if you look over the last several decades uh, at the rates of cancer across the United States, we're doing you know a pretty good job with colon cancer, breast cancer, uh, prostate cancer. Uh, but unfortunately, we've had a, a continuous rise uh, of esophageal cancer probably uh, due to esophageal reflux. You know, no one really knows for sure, uh, but it's difficult. You know, if, if for colon cancer, we have screening colonoscopies. Everyone gets them, uh, and there just really isn't the, the equivalent yet uh, for Barrett's esophagus. Uh, there's probably millions of people running around with Barrett's esophagus that we just don't know about. So 
when someone reaches out to us and takes the time to come for an endoscopy, we take it very seriously. Uh, so like I, I mentioned, we you know, really have three uh, to four ways of screening the esophagus for Barrett's esophagus. Of course, we look at it visually. We use a special lighting technique. Uh, and then we have uh, several different types of types of biopsies depending on the appropriate patient. Uh, now, um, when we find Barrett's, uh, there's different options. Sometimes we just survey it. Uh, but uh, we do know that blocking uh, the acid uh, or any reflux from coming up into the esophagus is really the most effective way to prevent Barrett's from progressing. Uh, and uh, that's really you know, our preferred uh, method uh, if it's appropriate for the patient. Uh, so uh, when we do find that, uh, again, we take it very seriously uh, and uh, make sure that we take that into consideration when developing a treatment plan with the patient. You're muted, Lynn. Sorry. Uh, Tabitha, thank you for, for sharing that part of your story, and thank you, Dr. Lovett, for diving into that a little bit deeper. Um, Wendy, I'll pause for a sec and just see, are there any questions coming in from the audience right now? Thank you very much. Yes, we do have a few. So um, Joy actually says hello and uh, would like to know, uh, she's got an EGD scheduled for Thursday and says that, you know, could you just please explain a little bit about that? You have already done so, so I'm sure she probably caught on um, as she was typing that because I think you were in the middle of that. What I'd really love to do, though, is kind of take the opportunity to have Tabitha explain what did you do the day of your EGD or your endoscopy? What was there any prep involved? What what would you say to patients who are new to this and and uh, don't understand what's involved just yet? Well, they're all so easy. You just you know you can't eat, drink before your procedure and stuff. And then when you go to the hospital, they're they get you you know all set up, ask you all your questions, um, get an IV in. Uh, when you go back to get your EGD done, they give you, like Dr. Lovett said, gentle sedation. Um, and it seems like you take like a 30 second nap. <laughs> you're waking up, you're eating, and you go about your day like it never even happened. You don't, most people, and I didn't, I don't ever have any side effects of any anesthesia after that. So I felt fine and just went about my day. You just can't drive after you got to have a driver home. So, but super easy. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And, and one of the things unique with, with our center and, and why the EGDs are so easy is we use, you know, an anesthesia uh, provider uh, that provides a, a propofol uh, as opposed to a lot of centers that use something called Versed and, and fentanyl, which is uh, the propofol people just really don't have uh, many side effects from, especially in comparison to that Versed and fentanyl. Uh, we made that change oh, maybe 10 or so years ago now, and it's really profoundly changed uh, uh, the fact that our patients will come back again you know they're not all uh, kind of doped up for two days they feel good afterwards and can go about their day excellent thank you so joy is also um asking about um hiatal hernia and what what that is what does that mean yeah so a, a hiatal hernia uh, is where the junction uh, between your esophagus and your stomach slips up through the chest uh, and the kind of natural anatomy is that the esophagus travels through an opening in the diaphragm. Uh, that opening is called the hiatus, uh, hence the term hiatal hernia. Uh, and the lower end of the esophagus should actually be in the abdominal cavity. Uh, now, when that starts to slip up through that hiatus into the chest, that becomes a hiatal hernia. 
Uh, and the reason that's so important, uh, even if it's only a centimeter or two, is that really disrupts the uh, mechanical barrier we were talking about before. Uh, so now instead of that acid staying down in the stomach where it's supposed to be, uh, that mechanical barrier is disrupted uh, and can slide up into the esophagus and uh, cause your symptoms. Gotcha. Thank you very much for that. Um, one, one more, and then uh, Lynn, I'll turn it back over to you. Haley asks, uh, I've been on PPIs for a long time. How do I know if I'm a candidate for TIF? Uh, you know, really the only way is to have an evaluation. Uh, you know, TIF, uh, we can do either with or without a hiatal hernia. Uh, if you do have a hiatal hernia, uh, there's a, a few extra steps involved. Uh, but uh, number one, we need to uh, evaluate your anatomy and see what that looks like. Uh, confirm that you do truly have acid exposure uh, up into the esophagus. You know, uh, again, a lot of people are on PPIs that actually don't need to be. Uh, and even if they have classic symptoms, uh, we find that it's not actually from acid, it's, it's from something else. Uh, so we really want to really uh, prove that to ourselves and you uh, before we proceed forward with any type of intervention like a TIF. Um, and, you know, we slowly work through that together uh, or quickly, depending on how you know, aggressive you want to be with things uh, and uh, come up with a treatment plan together, which for me often does involve TIF. Uh, but uh, sometimes the TIF isn't right for you and, and we select something a little bit different. Excellent. Thank you. All right, Lynn, I'll turn it back over to you. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Wendy. Um, so let's move on to recovery. What's it like recovering from the TIF procedure? And again, I think Tabitha, you might be a great person to start with in this part of the episode, just to tell us a little bit about what was recovery like? It wasn't bad at all. <laughs> My first thing that I think I asked Dr. Lovett if I work on a Monday, <laughs> he said, well, maybe. So, I mean, I had it done on a Friday and I think I went back to work that following Tuesday um, to my scheduled shift and it was fine. I, the first night, you know, the first couple of days you kind of just, you know, you're eating more liquidy foods, but other than that, I mean, I didn't really have any pain or, you know, if I did, it was very minimal. I think maybe the next day I felt fine. So I, I think I recovered pretty well. So there wasn't much side effects of it. I, after a couple of days of, more of a liquid diet. I went back to my normal and, you know, I made sure that I chewed my foods a little bit better, but it was very nice. Um, that's wonderful to hear. Dr. Lovett, what are you hearing from your patients about recovery and, and what they experience post-TIF procedure? Yeah, I, I would say Tabitha's, is, uh, she's the norm, all right? That doesn't mean we don't have outliers. Some people just have zero pain and don't even know it. Other people do have pain. Uh, you know, we are, um, depending on uh, if we have to repair a hiatal hernia or not, we're working on the diaphragm. Uh, that can lead to some pain in the shoulders. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we do the TIF, it, it does insert those plastic anchors that we talked about. Uh, and, and those can be tender to people, especially when they swallow. So uh, it's, it's not abnormal to have some pain, uh, but uh, most people, it's a very smooth recovery, uh, you know, on the order of uh, three days to a week until they're just really feeling well. Again, there can always be outliers, but uh, the average is, is closer to what Tabitha is describing. Well, that's really excellent. Um, thank you for that. Wendy, I'm going to pause for another quick uh, session of questions if there are any questions out there. I do have a few. So Andrew says, my surgeon told me that I should have a toupee procedure instead of a hernia repair with TIFT. Is toupee better and how is it different? 
So a, a toupee is more of the classic um, uh, repair. Uh, what we do a toupee, it's, it's almost always combined with a hiatus hernia repair. So uh, I'm imagining you have one of those. Uh, and then, uh, you know, once we repair that hiatal hernia, we decide uh, whether or not we do the toupee or TIF. And, uh, you know, to me, there's, there's benefits of both. Uh, the toupee is basically taking the stretchy part of the stomach, it's called the fundus, and forming what we call as a fundoplication or wrapping that fundus around the stomach. The toupee in particular, we only wrap it 270 degrees around, uh, which seems to be a nice balance, again, between not too tight and not too loose. And people do great from toupees, uh, for sure. Um, you know, one of the benefits of uh, doing the toupee is that we're already right there if it's not hiatus hernia. Uh, now, sometimes uh, people will elect to go forward with the TIF after the hiatal hernia repair. And again, we do that right in the same session. Uh, we just convert to the endoscopic portion of the procedure. Uh, and I do think there's some potential benefits from the toupee uh, uh, versus the TIF uh, and some potential benefits for the TIF versus the toupee. And that's something we work through together. Uh, you know, uh, the, the TIF, uh, we don't have to dissect as much. Uh, we can tailor our wrap as we're doing it. Uh, like I mentioned, we can touch up little spots. We can put an anchor here or an anchor there. Uh, and, and I really like that, um, the potential for that. Uh, the toupee has been used for years and years and years, uh, and it, it works. So um, I don't think there's any downside to either. It's just really a conversation with your surgeon. Excellent. Thank you. Also, um, sorry. Oh, okay. Um, I have Connor asking if TIF has a lot of side effects. Not that I've seen, you know, any surgery can have complications and TIF is a surgery for sure. I'll go over those in detail with you before we do any procedure. Uh, the side effect profile for the TIF uh, is, is probably, uh, in my experience, the best out of any of the reinforcements for that lower esophageal sphincter. Uh, again, we're going with the is uh, just tight enough, uh, but not so tight that you have trouble swallowing or you know, with some of the more traditional procedures, uh, especially the Nissen fundoplication, which is a, a full wrap or full uh, fundoplication. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, if you go on the online uh, forums and, and even in our experience with our patients, uh, people can experience something called gas blow, uh, which is basically that feeling that you have to burp, but you can't. Uh, and uh, with the toupee uh, and uh, particularly with the TIF, I, I really don't see that with my patients. Uh, I think the valve is loose enough where you can let some gas escape uh, without getting that pressure sensation. Uh, but the reflux control, in my experience, has been excellent too. So it's it's a nice balance. Excellent, thank you. So we just talked about side effects. One thing that I wanted to kind of dive into a little bit more on is a, another we'll call it an S word, uh, some symptoms of reflux, both both just traditional, you know, uh, symptoms versus some that are, you know, not necessarily as, uh, as conventional. Um, can you talk about kind of the, the range of symptoms that you see um, and some symptoms that might be surprising that they actually might indicate reflux? Sure. Uh, the most typical symptom, of course, is, is heartburn or pain after you eat up into your chest. Uh, second most common would be what we call regurgitation uh, or the sensation that something is coming up into your chest. Um, and, uh, you know, the regurgitation in particular uh, isn't often treated that well with those PPI medications. So we do get a lot of people with breakthrough regurgitation. Uh, but there's a lot of symptoms that we, we, we refer to them uh, more of the atypical symptoms or sometimes laryngeal pharyngeal symptoms. Those can be things like 
a hoarse voice, a cough. Uh, sometimes people have chest pain uh, that is, you know, they have their cardiac workup and it's completely normal and no one knows where it's coming from. That can be from your esophagus. So uh, again, you really need a comprehensive approach to figure out what the heck is going on with some of these. Very good, thank you. All right, so I'm, I'm curious also, well, first of all, let me, let me ask, we just had another one come in. Uh, Teresa says, I just had an endoscopy on May 10th, uh, just one of many in the last 40 years. All biopsies were negative, but I've had GERD my entire adult life. They just switched my meds to, maybe it looks like pantoprazole. Uh, I'm 70 years old. Uh, am I a possible candidate? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't certainly don't discriminate based on age. Um, uh, people, uh, you know, unfortunately get lots of endoscopies, uh, but they, get, and they might get biopsies, which is a good start. But uh, a lot of people don't get that acid testing or, you know, they go to uh, someone that maybe doesn't have the ability to do procedural intervention uh, and all they have to offer is the PPIs. Um, so uh, I would, you know, just recommend if, if she's looking into getting um, any further evaluation to give us a call. Uh, there's lots of different ways to go about it, uh, but, uh, you know, based on um, age is definitely not a, a reason to not pick somebody's reflux, especially if they've been on PPIs for all those years. It's definitely worth taking a look at the, at the uh, actual acid testing. Thank you. Tabitha, can you talk a little bit more in detail about the symptoms that you experienced and for how long? I know a lot of it when I was younger, I had a lot of the burning sensation. Like I felt like I had acid coming up and there was times where I actually, when I was younger, had chest pain. And then, you know, you'd go in and they'd give you this thing called a GI cocktail. It would amazingly go away because it's all there. It's not in your chest. It's not your heart. It's not cardiac related. So and I, I've actually had done that over the years of being on medication still, because I would still have that breakthrough. Um, I did have some regurgitation every once in a while. It wasn't as often as like the burning sensation up in my chest and my throat and stuff, but I did have some regurgitation every great once in a while where it felt like something was coming up into my throat and stuff, but. So we saw um, earlier before everybody joined that you have uh, a little guy and maybe others as well. How were you during your recovery able to manage having small kiddos? Did, did uh, the procedure impact your ability to do physical things? How long did, uh, did the doctor say, hey, no lifting? No, what, what were the restrictions? I don't think I had lifting restrictions, did I? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with the straight TIF, uh, which uh, Tabitha had, I'm pretty lenient with what they want to do, especially if they have a little kid. I mean, how are you not not pick them up, right? Right. Um, yeah. When people do, when people do have a hiatal hernia repair, we, we are pretty strict on that. Um, we want six weeks, uh, you know, 20 pounds or so or less, uh, and that's because that is such a dynamic area. You know, the hiatus hernia is uh, in the diaphragm basically. So every time you breathe, it moves. Every time you swallow, it moves. Uh, and uh, to be honest, it's difficult to keep those repaired. We can't uh, repair them like we would a, a normal hernia where we just close the hole completely. Um, so definitely at least six weeks of limited lifting with the highest hernia repair, uh, a little bit more lenient with the TIF because uh, we are, again, we're doing it completely endoscopically and you know, theoretically that, that hiatal hernia is, is not present if we're doing a strict TIF. 
any activities to um, lay off of for a bit while you recover? What what do you recommend as far as we get we get a lot of questions from patients asking, okay, when can I get back to the gym or when can I get back to to my running? Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you? You know, if people want to run, walk, bike, uh, my opinion, they can do it when, whenever they feel up to it. Uh, you know, it's with incisions. So if we're doing uh, again the the you know, the paraesophageal or hiatal hernia repair. Uh, this is going to slow them down enough that uh, I don't think they're going to be getting back too early, from my opinion. Uh, the gym, I do let them start doing more of a you know static activity. Uh, you know, after usually the first post-op visit, so about two weeks or so afterwards. Uh, that means things that are just uh, you know uh, not uh, heavy grunting, lifting, dead weights, things like that. They want to do uh, some light reps with light rate weights and, and maybe just do you know more reps instead of uh, real heavy weights. That's okay with me. Uh, again, I, I really want to avoid that herky-jerky motion. Uh, and to be honest, nothing puts more pressure on that repair uh, than when you cough or sneeze, uh, things that we just can't avoid. So, uh, you know, I, I try to keep it pretty lenient and pretty easy for the patient to follow. Very good. Tabitha, was there anything that... that- you know, after you woke up, what can you can you kind of talk us through your first day of recovery and and what that looked like? I don't really like. I don't remember too much when I first. Went. Um, that night I ended up getting sick, but I don't. I have a hard time with general anesthesia, so that probably was partly why. But after, like, when I came home, I rested. Um, that night, and then the next day, I felt pretty good. Um, did, did you so notice I, the reflux or was it? I didn't notice any reflux at all. Uh, right after I had the procedure done, I didn't take any of my PPIs and I haven't taken any since. Really? Wow. Very good. Okay. Um, so when were you able to resume um, going out with the boys? Your normal well, routine? I, well, like I said, I had it done on a Friday and I my next Tuesday, so I went back to work and I basically went about my life like I did before. I just didn't have the heartburn and I didn't have to take the medication. So it's an easy recovery for me, but I only had the tip. I didn't have the hernia like Dr. Lovett said. But yeah, and my kids are they're young, but they're under they're understanding. My daughter's gonna be five and she's like a mother hubbard. So if I'm down for any reason, she's gonna take care of me. So <laughs> she you know they kind of just they know and took it easy with me for a day or two and then I was just bounced back in normal life awesome all right Lynn back to you such a great story um I love how you touch on all those aspects of just what's involved in recovery and what life is like after after the procedure so many people have questions of wonder about what's the preparation like what's it going to be like for me and you guys both touched on just how everybody is different. So, you know, someone else's experience might not be exactly yours, but it gives you an idea of what, you know, what you might expect or what you might be able to expect. So um, thank you both for sharing that. On, on that note, um, wh- what are you, uh, what's life like after TIFFs? So if you were to give someone, you know, one example of one or two things that have been significant significantly different and have impacted your life since having this procedure what what are two things you got back from uh, having the TIF procedure done well I don't have to take my medicine anymore which is nice That's a big one <laughs> and then 
um, and also, you know, sometimes with the acid reflux and having that chest pain and I remember when I would get it, I would just feel miserable and my whole chest and my shoulders, everything would just hurt like they were on fire and I don't have that anymore and I don't have to worry about like bending over and feeling like something's going to come up or anything like that. So, I mean, if I, if anybody was, can do the TIF, like I would highly recommend it. That's great advice. Thank you. And Dr. Lovett, how about you? What are you hearing from a couple of your patients that you can recall quality of life improvement after this procedure? I think what Tabitha said is probably the most important thing. And one of the reasons that I love doing reflux surgery and, and TIFFs or toupees or, you know, whatever, is that people literally wake you up, wake up feeling different. You know, they, they, their reflux is gone and it, it truly is. They, um, we usually kind of slowly wean people off of their PPIs, but they, they, in all honesty, probably don't need them uh, even the second they wake up. And even when I see people postoperatively, you know, the day of, if they're staying in the hospital for some reason, they say, hey, my reflux is gone. I just had a snack and it, it was great. Uh, and, and that's, you know, as you can imagine, very rewarding for us as surgeons. Yeah, absolutely. And um, being able to give someone one piece of advice for someone who's on the fence like you, Tabitha, I, I love your advice to them. If you can get something done, do it. Um, what is your advice, Dr. Lovett, for anyone who's not sure of what those next steps should be? How would you encourage them? My advice is to get a comprehensive workup. You know, like one of the people asked online, she's had many, many endoscopies and, and it doesn't sound like I ever had, you know, a full workup. And uh, there's there's options. You know, I'm not saying that medications aren't aren't fine, but there are, there are options and it's worth your time to explore. And especially if you're a lifelong sufferer of GERD. Um, it's, it's really kind of a shame to see people that have come in uh, from other centers being told there's just nothing we can do when, when there truly is, um, and, and relatively easy, straightforward things like Tabas is talking about, you know, um, we've had people that have been on, on PPIs for 30, 50, 30, 40 years and they're done with them uh, after they come in. So uh, again, it's very gratifying and I just really encourage people to have a full workup. Uh, and not to take, uh, there's nothing else we can do for an answer because there usually is something, not always, but almost always. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, for, for folks who might be looking for more information, um, we have a, a site called girdhelp.com um, and on that website, you can um, you can download our, our mobile app. So it's loaded with information and articles on reflux and a lot of the videos of our physicians uh, talking about uh, the procedures they're able to do for folks. Um, so it's loaded with information. It's a complimentary uh, mobile app that you're welcome to download. Um, so Dr. Lovett, for, for folks in your area, how do they reach out and schedule an appointment with you? Yeah, I think the number should be kind of displayed on the screen. You can do it that way. Uh, you can look at either uh, RiverwoodHealthcare.com or uh, CayunaMed.com. Those are the two hospitals that we work out of. Uh, or go to uh, MinnesotaHeartburn.com. Those will all get you there. Uh, and uh, we have uh, at each facility a dedicated nurse uh, nurse navigator. Uh, so you're going to have one person that really walks through you through your reflux care from you know, kind of beginning to end, which is just a, a huge resource for us and our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Tabitha had such a great experience at your at your center, and uh, I think it's Dawn and Leah uh, over at Minnesota Reflux and Heartburn Center who are always so graciously helpful in navigating those reflux patients through your program. 
so, so thank you for that. And if you are in Dr. Lovett's area, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out um, by way of the information on the screen. If you're outside of uh, Dr. Lovett's area, you can always visit GERDhelp.com to find a physician in your area. But I think that well, I would say, you know, we get people from all over the United States because yeah. <laughs> we really have a special place I and mean, it truly is special. There's nothing else like it. So you're welcome to come from wherever. I love it. Come one, come all, right? <laughs> I think the, the big message here is everyone uh, to, to take those next steps and to get the help they need um, and, and you know, seek Dr. Lovett's advice or, uh, or your physician and keep advocating for yourself. Um, and you, you both spoke uh, to that this evening. Wendy, I, I'll just pivot to any, any last minute questions that you want to squeeze in that are out there before we let everyone go for the evening. I think we have fielded all of them. We did have a, a question come in about where to find a physician in their area. So I uh, went ahead and um, plugged that into the chat. Also, I will say that we have uh, an educational app uh, on your mobile phones. It's called GERD Help. If you go to your app store, whether it is Android or iOS uh, and search GERD Help, you can download the app and actually start journaling your symptoms, uh, your vitals and it will help your physician uh, better target what uh, is going on and, and the tests that, that need to be ordered for you. So um, you can also learn about reflux, about uh, procedural interventions and different therapies um, and watch a couple of educational videos as well. So take a look if you haven't already and uh, we encourage you to learn more, GERD Health app. And that's all I've got, Lynn. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Lovett, for joining us and sharing your expertise. Thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you, Tabitha, to your story, sharing your story. We, we, it's so valuable. So thank you for being here this evening. Thank you. And thank you, Wendy, for your help in generating or fielding those wonderful questions. And to the Facebook audience out there, thank you for joining us. We're here every Tuesday night uh, with our Facebook Live TIFF Talk. So we hope to see you in an upcoming episode. Um, in the meantime, have a great evening and be well. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERD Help mobile app. Thanks for tuning into another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD Help. Live well, GERD free.